0: In the opening verses, in the Book of the Verses, in the Sangyutta-connected discourses, this uh, spirit, celestial beings, asking the Buddha how he managed to cross the floods. Floods referring to floods of greed, hatred, delusion, ignorance. And the Buddha says, uh, by not pushing forward, by not standing still. I managed to cross the floods <laughs> It's this little poem, so like many poems, it's kind of cryptic and you just look at the world, you get the feeling, what's that? By not struggling, not striving forward pushing against it, by not standing still, not just being inert or resisting I cross the floods. Mm. 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 How do we meet our passions and fears? Guilt and regret. Mm. Uh, anger and despair. By not pushing through not standing still, you cross over. Mm. How is this? Because when one doesn't push forward nor stand still, kind of trying to hold on, something opens, and mm. the spirit, chitta, opens. Uh, as a moving through. Mm. So we just start to acknowledge some of our reflex responses to the challenges that arise. Resist. Push forward. Try to hold on. What happens? Is it possible to Counteract those reflexes to meet, to be met, to be exposed, mm, to be permeated, and the faith it requires to do that, mm, to not be strong in the conventional sense, to not have a position in the conventional sense, and, you know. What in us, what in our range, what is our capacity to remain present without adopting these strategies or increasingly withdrawing from these strategies, that one can withdraw from these strategies. It's sort of insecure. And yet in that insecurity of one's self, there's an invitation to the indriya the allies, that very movement into insecurity is beckoning faith. So we create security through knowledge, getting it all figured out, uh, strategies, a lot of good energy, strong energy, confidence I know my stuff mm. and it's attractive that kind of strength is quite attractive mm. and human beings by and large will aim for that or seek that and we see you follow that trajectory Over a period of time, human history and so forth, you get this domination paradigm which uh, governs human beings. Mm. It's a false strength because it doesn't open and receive and allow in. It it maintains its its self-structure. Mm. and feels quite pleased at that we like to be on top (laughs) you know you look at that and we are on top you look at it kind of in, in species terms we've won every other species we've conquered it we've won it all we've got it all now every inch of the planet we've got it all There's only a few remnants of wildlife and we got it all and look at the results of that. Mm. Still it goes on because once, you know, as a species we got it all, then we start to say, well my little tribe, (laughs) whatever tribe is being top dog at the time, my nation, my tribe. And then you've got a fairly powerful nation or big nation like China, Russia, United States got a lot of power. Then within that tribe you get the upper class, (laughs) who are like one percent. So you see how the domination paradigm continually subdivides to a a narrower and narrower band of top dogs. So, so the human being starts eating itself, the species starts eating itself because it's everything else. You know, this is the kind of horror of the domination paradigm. You know, can't, can't keep going unless it's dominating something, <laughs> eating something up. And it's not, you know, it's, not, it's not, a to a degree, it's not a conscious, really acknowledged decision, it's a reflex. It feels good. But when you are there, <laughs> it can have that agreeable inflation to it. And then you see the destruction. And it's kind of can begin in fairly modest ways. Oh so let's like just let's clear the field, you know, so we got ram from our cows or we'll tree, 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 chop, uh, soil weeds, you know. Where I live uh our Monastery, obviously, is a, is kind of a sacred place, so all creatures are welcome there. We've got rats, we've got rabbits, we've got everything, you know. And, uh, of course, all the trees and plants, we plant a lot of trees and so on. Yeah. got a compromise here and there, obviously. But So when we were um, given this piece of land, the, the, the neighboring farmer said, You've got to kill your rabbits because that's the law of the countryside. You've got to control what we call vermin. They're not rabbits, they're vermin. (laughs) You know, nice little bunnies become vermin. And uh, so you've got to play your part in killing them. So we we put a fence around our property to keep our rabbits in. Rather than keep them out, is there's a rabbit-proof rabbit fences to keep our rabbits nice and protected, <laughs> where they can <laughs> run around and do what rabbits do, <laughs> which sometimes isn't exactly what you want them to do. <laughs> they like start chewing your trees. You need to put re- tree guards on that stop the rabbits chewing the trees. And uh, okay, you know, <laughs> and then uh, and then we, of course we've got the grounds and so forth. And we've got kind of garden beds, and then and some of a gardener. Like, sort of, you know, gardening days getting, you know, a lot of people working on clearing the weeds. So, so we have got the proper gardens, and, you know, and I'm looking at this thing, well, you, yeah, you do that, but then next month they're back again. So, one way to do the weeding is stop calling them weeds and call them flowers that you don't need to weed anymore. <laughs> And again, you compromise when, the, when one species starts dominating the rest and smothering, you say, come on, behave. <laughs> A little bit of pruning is necessary. Yeah. So this kind of just checking in with uh, the domination paradigm and the view it gives us, which starts out just as the view, you know, and then mm, so try to make things Go in a way that's beneficial for me <laughs> or us, you know, uh, and so on and so on. You get to the point when, you know, we can't um, stop fossil fuels because it's bad for the economy. The what? <laughs> yeah, you know, it means it's bad for the. Very bad for the 1% of the people who are raking billions. <laughs> very bad news. So the rest of us, well, then you get, you know, job. Wait a minute, let's go back here. Why do we work so we can get our resources, so we can get our food and stuff like that? That's what we're working for, isn't it? Purposeful so we can get our material resources together, meaningful work, that's what we're working for. So, if your work destroys the resources, <laughs> what kind of work is that? You know, if your work is actually d- involved in, in destroying planet's resources, how is that going to give you, You know, because so you go through the loop of money. You know, so money equals food, clothing, so forth. No, money doesn't equal food, you cannot wear money, you cannot eat money. Right? But <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's a token and you end up everything being converted into money. Yeah. Earth, trees, animals, converted into money. Human resources converted into money. Labor converted into money. People converted into money. Yeah. Life converted into money. And human systems breaking down individually, stress, depression, anxiety, social dystopia, all the life forces breaking down through the domination paradigm, what it sets up. You could win one of these, wow. <laughs> you could have five houses, wow, You know, whatever. And people go for it. And and feel there is no option, no alternative, no possibility. Really? Anybody tried it? Surely. Difficult, maybe, but possible. Is there any other choice? Really? Sharing? Limitation on what we take? Sharing? Offering back? Generosity? Are they such esoteric concepts? Sharing, giving, helping each other out? Give somebody a hand? Yeah. Is that so, do you have to be God to know that? <laughs> yeah. Living more modestly? Sense of virtue and loving kindness? These are not kind of vague esoteric attainments. They're rock, rock solid you know, core human values, aren't they? Can we permeate? And you realize those qualities such as that, you know, they don't push, they, they mingle, meet, share, cooperate, co-operate. Mm. Yeah, they're mutual. You see, and this kind of fundamental model, you know, in the foundational model in the Buddha's presentation is the mutuality model. So it starts off, says for those people who are not really advanced, so, so the beginner starts with generosity, because everybody likes it. And immediately we start to form a kind of a, an agreeable relationship. Mm. My heart opens up, it's nice to give to you. And you can give material resources, hospitality, Medical care or just good advice and good companionship. You know, it's that gesture. And then through that, naturally, then we why do people lose touch with that? Because they get a bit greedy, or they get a bit um, possessive. So morality. it's just to others as to myself, non-positional. He says, so when you're doing that, that's your fundamental mutuality model and then you begin to see the ugliness of gratification you know that, the ugliness of it you know. and then you, you want to relinquish that this is where renunciation comes in it's a heavy word but it really means acknowledging that more, more, more and maybe wherever it's possible could less be the new way you know, enough rather than more, and that direction says so then your mind is ready. Now you're ready to, to do meditation, to the inner work, because you've set up the proper model and you can begin to relate, you know, internally or whatever you want to put it, in a similar way, you know. It's opening, giving, sharing, maintaining a sense of respect to whatever arises, yeah, and relinquishing uh, what is not necessary or what is stubborn, obstinate, pushy, yeah, uh, you know, demanding. Just begin relinquishing that. So there, you're ready to penetrate, and you realize why one does need that that growth, because as we penetrate, we rub up against the dissonances, and you need that inner fortitude and inner plenitude to meet the dissonances of inheritance karma so forth without looking the other way without steamrolling over it Mm -hmm. and you know you meet the self structure which arises as a way of trying to cope with dissonance you know you know certainly we can all bad mouth egotism and things like that and but really, it's probably the best thing we could, could manage <laughs> at the time. That's why it's there. It's the best thing we could do when we're feeling insecure, overwhelmed, in a world that's huge forces in it. and The, the self-structure rises as a kind of shell to, to sort of keep things on hold. This is very much the case is that uh, you know I maintain myself against you know, I can hold my own, thanks. and I'm going to build it up. More, he does that. If she's reactive, she'll do that. And they'll do that. <laughs> and they'll get, crash, crash. <laughs> yeah. And what is it? Without pushing, without holding on, one crosses the flood. Yeah, and but of course, in that process, we're revealing this dissonance or this wavering or this broken bit or not connected bit that causes, like the grit in the oyster, that causes this negative pearl to arise around it. You know. and that's where the protector or the, or the going somewhere else, the divertance tactics occur. Divergence means we either redirect our attention or we blame it on this one, that one, those, anything, you know. That takes, that diverts it, doesn't it? Mm. And whatever statistical truth there may be in that, right now, that doesn't get the arrow out of the heart. Mm. You know, and particularly when these are, we could say, with some regret, something that's been sitting there for 20 years, and I can keep lamenting how I was and should have been, and how other people weren't and could have been, and they didn't, but they should have, and because of that I did that and I wish I wasn't. Why do we keep going through history all the time? Something is trying to complete to get to the end of the story. To find a way out of the story, to get to the place where that bit's over, and we just keep the reflex to keep rehearsing the same stuff, you know. It's trying to complete, but that process, that movement, can't do it. Yeah. And then the movement just that oh, just put it down can it. Shrug it off. That doesn't complete it either. So Sometimes meditation is like a, like a strange conversation with the unacceptable. Mm. Until by not pushing, by not holding on, we cross. Something crosses. You summon the indriya. The indriya summons it. Eh? Faith and then energy one is energized, there is desire which is not to move forward, but desire to to know to study, to sense you know, to ask to negotiate you know. so there's inquiry which isn't about finding an answer so much as you know what does this need to move on, or is this need for completion you know. And framing all that within sati, within mindfulness, collecting one's energies and using discernment. So these indriya work together. We take a simple example, we get a feeling of regret and stories and people in it, or discursive lines of thought that are repeated and repeated episodes. And then we say, we adopt this tactic or this process of translating that into what's called the felt sense which is experiencing all this what is the basic tonality and it could be resent or uh, fail or uh, you know bristle or whatever or can't manage overwhelm can't just can't manage you know. and it's so, okay so you translate that down to a heart reference that's what the real business is. You know, not in the past. You can't, not, in the, not in the scenario that the past creates, just in the heart resonance. And then, you begin holding that in the heart resonance, you begin to do another translation. Let's just move out of the language for a while of resent or overwhelm. I feel more directly what's happening in the energetic level, a sense of compressed. Uh, can't find a ground, can't find footing, um, running out, uh, abandoned, you know, wow. And then even more deeply, the sense of something fluttering, sinking, recoiling, uh, you know, or, or racing around, clawing at something, for something. Oh, then we say there's a little being, a trapped being. Uh, Can one have the mercy, the compassion, can that be there to offer mm, to that being? Where do you want to go? There's plenty of room here for you. Plenty of room here for you. And of course it's not in the self-structure, there's no room, but in the Dhamma, Field, there's plenty of room. And so then, you know, so then that that can move. Sometimes we can feel it in our bodies, suddenly parts of our bodies that we didn't even realize were activated or shut down begin to change, sort of melting, sinking. Some things move by themselves, and maybe emotions stir, the emotional body stirs, you know, sighs, weeps you know, feel something or the other, I don't know, and then uh, open, oh, oh, you know. Nobody won. There was no winner. (laughs) Nobody got to the other shore. There was no other shore, there was nothing to win, you know, it's just the release. And in the release of the dissonance, there's a release in the self-structure which was trying to hold that dissonance some way. So the bit of self-structure also, we don't need that. We feel lighter, freer. What floods? <laughs> They've abated. And this is process, right? So we've been... Laura and I have both been talking a little about intentionality or volition, and the tuning of that, the attuning of that, what is necessary to do. And there's quite a lot of play and attitude and discussion around this theme of well how much is necessary to do is doing just a kind of egotistical you know push to shove oneself forward into some loftier state? Is oh. <laughs> not doing just a collapse into laissez-faire? No. Uh, where, is, where do these two meet? What's the volition? What degree of volition, what degree of activation energy is needed is appropriate? And I would say, I don't know, <laughs> find out. <laughs> By not pushing forward, by not rigidly holding still, and you know there's a playing of it, and I like to you know use that word play because uh, uh, it's a nice way of of handling volition, intentionality, in a, in a range of ways. You know, it can be quite vigorous. It can be quite subtle. You know, play can be uh, dance, it could be calligraphy, it could be flower arranging, it could be tiddlywinks, it could be (laughs) mime, it could be all kinds of things. And what it always is, it's, it's like often expanding the potentials of something you didn't dare or didn't know or, you know, it's a certain expanding with no aim, no end goal other to just enter the medium that one is operating with and just start responding to it. Hmm. But in that there's a kind of life, vitality, you don't know quite what you're doing, whether it's going to work, but you don't care because you just trust the process and whoa, whoa, we did that wrong, okay, that's fine, this is how we learn. And there's a kind of intentionality to... Enter the medium. Rather, than to yeah. I was liking it the other day. You know, to to intention being like a, a a path, and as we can see, you know, human beings. We generally started off following the the tracks of other creatures. You know, the tracks of the forest. A deer has made. We follow that track. It's kind of winding. it's why a lot of Roads in England are so windy because they're based upon tracks that badgers made, or something like that. You know, we just followed that. But of course, then over time, well, it's, you need know, to get mission just push a highway through here, and you've got like eight lanes, <laughs> steam rolling through, and everybody moves down that highway. You know, a completely choked highway with everybody's cars jammed on it, eight lanes of it. Okay, 12 lanes, you get 12 lanes of jam traffic. And it's like that. Sometimes you you look at the other side of the highway, it looks kind of nice out there. Let's go for a walk. (laughs) 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 You know, in in, in Britain, I would imagine that very few people, a broad brush statement, move more than a few meters Beyond their normal track, they track to work, they track to the shops, track to their friend's house, and the verges uh, may drift a little bit, have a picnic, actually move beyond the track. We're track creatures, and generally tracks. You you look at a track; it's the trajectory forward, the narrowing perspective that the eyes create. This is we're getting somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> getting some meandering, narrow, up and down, I want straighter, quicker you know, trajectories. You look at the way, the visual impression of cities, you've got these streets with towering walls called houses and it's getting higher and higher. If you've been in New York, it's like... You look up, this little crack of sky between Manhattan, you know, you feel like an ant everything is a crossroads so every every intersection looks the same as the last one and it's efficient i think they build it on some notion of efficiency it's nice straight makes sense straight crossroads and it's weird <laughs> jungle <laughs> where's the bend you know my body can't do it so we get processed into moving like that like And as you know, New York's a hustly kind of city, and the buildings model that flat faces, impenetrable grey. You cannot, and towering over you, you and the little human ant creeps along. Actually, don't they don't have people in New York? You have you have cars. The human species is kind of shoved to the periphery <laughs> of the pavement and you know, people selling things on the streets or nipping into... And, and some in American cities, they don't actually have walking areas. You know, Like Los Angeles, some areas you, you, have you can only go there in a car. and There's no, no sidewalk. You know. <laughs> Developed. Developed to the point where we eliminate the human body. <laughs> as a living, sentient creature that connects to the earth and feels the space around it and moderates. So we track creatures. So when you work, the idea is to get down the right track as quick as possible to either get to work or to get the work done. So that track internalizes psychologically. And we can carry that same model In whatever we do, let's get on, get to the point. Of course, when you hit the wall on that one, generally in meditation practice, mm, must be the wrong system then, (laughs) or the wrong teacher, the wrong teaching, because it's not getting me down the track. Mm. Yeah, and so but then play, you come off track. As I was saying the other day, it's aimless wandering, which I began to tune into. This feeling, just standing, feeling the the capacities of the body to flex and move, and just feeling the pliancy of the legs moving, enjoying moving, the way the body takes the pressure, the foot takes the pressure, the softness turning into hardness. The emptying of one side of the body as the the leg moves, the flows between the wonderful synergies operating within the body and also between the body and the earth. It knows how to hold that earth, you know, what weight is needed to hold it. It knows, and you can work perfectly well without an identity. You don't need an identity to walk. (laughs) You don't need to have an aim in mind. If you walk, you'll get there, (laughs) somewhere. You know, so we go. So sometimes I'm walking from my particular little dwelling to the main house, which may be fifty meters, hundred meters away. And you know, what can happen is, oh, I've got to get to the house. So bong, walk, and then idea house, 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 house. And no house. Foot, earth, yeah, walk, yeah. Walk, flow it, flow it. You don't have to go the same way every day. You don't have to go the same way every day, see? Just enjoy the walk. And, oh, there's a house here. (laughs) So you play the walk, play the walker. Recently, somebody um, offered me a, a, um, a few pottery workshops, and I really really loved that, that was great because I haven't got a clue and I like doing things I haven't got a clue about because then I haven't got a track I don't have a track just this lump of mud sitting in front of me <laughs> <laughs> and then the, f- the first thing the, the first thing you've got to kind of massage the mud to get it so the, the clay knows itself, it's bonded properly so you have to kind of put it on the wheel and just massage the mud so the clay knows itself it's, you know, and so then you start to encourage shape just by using one hand and use the hand quite skillfully, quite lightly and steadily and not too much push, just holding and shape starts to arise And you can tell where you were pushed too hard, as this got big distortion in the clay. And the instructor says, "Well, when that's there, the clay remembers that. So you just got to take that off. The clay has memory; it will remember that that distortion." Thinking, "Well, this is clay. It remembers." (laughs) And what I was doing was, when that happened, was I okay? I thought, "Right, I want that to go nice and." Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, just kind of, kind of coax and encourage a shape and then invite a shape, you know, let that intentionality you know, creep into your hands as you form that relationship with the clay. And actually this shape arises, it wasn't quite what I imagined, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. Uh, And then just give it away. You know. You don't really want to hold a thing, you just find somebody you can show respect to, give it to. Yeah, so play doesn't own anything, you see doesn't own the results. And Ownership is a, another big topic for, for humans because we do own, and most creatures don't own. You know, and we recognize that some indigenous cultures, they don't really know what own means. You know, how can you own land? doesn't make sense, you didn't create it, you didn't make it you can't carry it with you, how can you own land? Oh, pagan idiot. (laughs) I owned it because I threw some money down and put a fence around it. Hmm. (laughs) And look what you did through that. So the, the owning instinct and then what that brings in own. Mm. And why need to own? Because it makes more security. Mm. And that's how the, the self structure builds, built on that premise. And yet, actually, just looking at that again the land, the air, the water, the earth, the sunlight they're all free to be shared. They were a gift. Yeah. Can we? Touch them like we do clay, invite you know, and then share with that. I don't know if you've seen this wonderful well you must have seen it, but really you know, communicated or <laughs> responded to this magnificent plane tree out the front here, you know, which is you know, wow, looks like a Tai Chi master probably was one time, or is about to be next life. But it's got a lovely you know, <laughs> flow to it. And, and you see, and it's, it's rare that you can see a, a tree that upstages an oak tree, but this one, the oak tree is kind of standing back. The plane tree is right there, you know? And uh, you see, well, how does, what's that? When you really like examine it, it looks like very, very solid, massive presence which it is, but it's, it's, it's in relationship with the soil, the soil allows it, the soil allows it. Remember that massive tree was a tiny little seed at one time, the soil received it, allowed it, accepted it, yeah, and it started to, to grow. Same for us. Roots are laid down. The relationship with the earth and with the micro bacteria and mycelial network and all that so it builds up. tree. Because of that, the tree is allowed to grow. As it's allowed to grow, it, it draws um, elements from the soil and it takes light down. Takes the light down, and so it forms uh, this loop between the earth, the light, the sky, the rain, yeah, and the living creatures. And so it's very much an expression of the of the loop of that symbiotic loop. It doesn't stand alone. It cannot stand alone. It doesn't seek to stand alone. It just, and then beetles, birds, and so forth. The whole biosphere starts to consulate around that. And everything is offering, everything's receiving, everything's giving, everything's feeding. And you get, this is, you know, that's what <laughs> that tree is modeling. And if we actually, you know, look into that, you've got the f- the f- most nourishing aspects of the roots are the finest, finest hairs. They're not the massive knotty structures which are there as just support. The really living stuff is way out of the edge, micro tiny threads which are extremely fragile and just you know bonding into the soil. So it's a transference. And the soil is being fed by the tree, the tree is being fed by the soil and you know everything grows. And of course the tree itself, you know, is able to moderate rainfall and soil benefits from the tree. It's able to generate shade, uh, oxygen. This is just, just such an incredible example of how to live on the planet. Now, you know, <laughs> you see actually the, the transference system itself is very thin. It's like a very thin layer of xylem and phloem, which are the two capillary systems in a tree. Very light. That's where all the energy is moving through this light, light soft, soft fall. Without that, it's dead. Hmm. Where's the strength? Is it in the root? Is it in the trunk? Is it in the bark? No, it's in the symbiosis in the cycle. That's where the strength lies. That's where the fruit lies, where the capacity lies. That's where the uh, life lies. Okay, so now for ourselves, you know, we are really, you know, we are part of nature. Nature isn't out there, we are part of it. We need to know that and honor that, respect that. Human beings, and then how do we meet where we are? Gently. Know, feeding into it, feeling away into it, mm, growing slowly. Just take what is needed, whatever is needed and taken, we try to recycle it. Not just material terms, but whatever uh, value or understanding or gratitude or whatever, we turn that around the, the system to any any direction. This keeps us. Alive and healthy keeps us growing, not pushing forward, not holding on. We enter into the flow of Dhamma. So is there volition, intention for that? Yeah, but the main intention we could say simply speaking is connect. And you can muse on that, connect. Uh, and what it takes to connect. When we connect, we have to let down some of our apparent independence in order to connect and feel trust. Other people are frightening at times. The otherness can be frightening, can be nerve-wracking, can be challenging. It's the trust? Enough to connect and holding or maintaining your your centrality uh, and summoning the indrias mm, of which the very opening itself and the trust is the sad and you stay with that that's going to remain constantly energizing form mm-hmm. and then energy from craving, which is the self-presentation of that energy of desire, which is give me more for myself, in somewhere or another, I'm in need, turns into chanda, may there be, which is kind of like a suffusing, may I have and own and get somewhere, for may I offer, may I open May I share that kind of quality. So your volition can move that way internally, externally. To oneself, within this, externally. Yeah. And so recognize how much is needed and how much what can be offered and what what does the situation allow. And so we to kind of moderate that aspiration with discernment. This is as far as it can go at this time, you know, a five-year-old plane tree is not that impressive. It can't carry a lot. Give it time. Yeah, give it time. And keep the connections to the earth. Similarly, you know, as the jitta is maturing, it doesn't really mature by the year, It matures in terms of how the indriya ripen. And that depends actually just on practice and on karma. So is it a year, month, week, ten years? Why count? (laughs) Essentially the citta matures through acknowledging and coming out of its karmic dispositions or its set patterns or its self-structures you know, out of its attachments another way of putting it. And ownership is another way of talking about it. Ownership, attachment, um, gripping, uh, fear, uh, uncertainty, vulnerability, grip, grip, grip. So uh, We need to constellate that faith and energy and his indriya so there is a confidence in truth, in Dhamma, in beauty. And we're not working, we're playing, playing it, playing it, What's, you know? who knows what it's going to turn out like. Does it matter? The potter says, stay on the wheel, that's all. And I think that's what we should do. <laughs> stay on the Dhamma wheel don't shove your clay off by, by being too hasty just stay on the dharma wheel mm. and so I mean, staying in that eightfold path and filling that out yeah so the moderation of volition uh, you yeah, as that really is like both picking up and sensing what's to be sensed meeting it meeting it, and then the appropriate indriya response which could be just be aware of this for a while let it shift it could be you need to just extend a little more this way or relax a little bit this way so there's a subtle inclination of intentionality that occurs both in something like mindfulness of breathing but in the long term, in terms of handling how the chitta, sankara, operates. And then there's a point, the thing with chanda is it's possible to have done enough. With tanha, there's no completion. It's always more, always more. Because it's essentially a system that cannot satisfy If you notice where your tanha works, oh, I want one of those, the lighting up. yeah, And the energy of about to get it, about to get it, got it. That looks good. (laughs) Because once you got it through tanha, the energy of about to get it stops. Don't want it anymore because <laughs> you know, the energy was hooked up to the sense of being about to gratify, and then once you got it, you can't be about to gratify, so oh, I want one of those, <laughs> so it, it never ends. The psychology of Tanha that's why you can check it out. But chanda is not actually looking for a result. Just may the indriya arise, and a sense of faith. They'll go, the process will go where it needs to go. All I need to do is stay on the wheel, stay on the path. And this leads to that humility, which is not its not undignified. It's a dignified <laughs> humility, which means we we're not Underestimating or overestimating, we trust the process. Um, and a lot of my attitudes will begin to be melted down by that, and I'll feel better for it. <laughs> mm. And naturally, you know, the results of that uh, uh, suffuse, and it is that process of that heart energy naturally. Suffuses, so it's uh, for my welfare, for the welfare of others, it's shared, it's symbiotic, and it keeps this whole wheel turning, mm, rolling. Mm. So take some time out for direct practice in your own experience. You know, we set the boundaries of the retreat, give yourself a boundary to work within standing, walking, sitting. A meditation theme that you feel comfortable with—walking, breathing, you know, whatever that is—and keep it simple enough so you're not constantly tweaking and fiddling with it. And it's good enough, and then start to contemplate the movement of chitta within that, as it opening to the power of the indriya to diminish the flood, to let the floods abate. Let's take some time for practice. It's Saturday. I'm really getting along here. <laughs> <coughs> so this morning, invitation for Roman. Jean and Valerie and Laura, we'd like to see Caroline H., Francis, and Timothy this afternoon. Ah, oh, this afternoon, yeah. I um, thought to do some Qigong this afternoon, and there's been an interest in doing it outside. I had some doubts whether my voice will carry, but I'll try to ramp it up. Um, because it's certainly you know unfortunately, you know the drawback of this room is it shapes us into this particular pattern, and it creates i feel it creates an un- unnecessary contradictory form that we find ourselves operating within, and so something's more open we c- you know the form our form will perhaps feel freer to 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 work within that, and I think we'll Go over to where that Tai Chi master